Welcome to the Irrelevant Podcast. I'm Nathan Jones with my co-host Alex Lewis. Back for another episode here in the new year, episode 46 with Daniel DeBrock. Daniel, thank you for coming and spending some of your time with us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the chat. So for those of you who don't know, or I guess people who don't know Daniel, just go ahead and give a slight little intro about who you are and what realm of strength and conditioning you find yourself in? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've been a coach for about 12 years now. I, I think like most people, I kind of got my start at a big box gym. Um, started writing articles for different publications, which led to a couple of cool opportunities. Uh, I was director of education at Kabuki Strength for a while. Um, developed, you know, seminars and different curriculum for like universities and uh USAPL or USPA, I can't remember, I, something like that, did some certification programs for them or whatever. And then uh, last year, started my own company. So I split with Kabuki, started my own company, and uh, it's been going well. I coach, honestly, I coach kind of everyone, uh, primarily like strength and performance-based athletes. But the main thing that I care about, and I'm very lucky to be able to have the clientele that I do, is I coach people who take their training seriously, you know? Um, so I don't care what your goals are. I don't care if you're a beginner, super advanced, if you're an international elite, world champion, whatever, or if you're like Joe Blow, so long as you take your training seriously, then we're going to get along really well. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds so, pretty, that's, that's you're in good company. We have a lot of people that obviously that come on here and say the same things that you're saying. So what is your, uh, what does your application process look like then? Do you have a, is it pretty long and drawn out or do you just have a few questions that kind of get you what you need to know with people really quickly? Um, no, I mean, like, I always do, I always, I always sit down and do like a full on like 45 or an hour, like video call like this, uh, with every person, because, you know, I want to understand where they're coming from. I want to know whether or not I'm going to be a good fit for them and whether they're going to be a good fit for me. And, you know, I'm not talking about the whole like firing thing. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I fire my clients. And it's like, okay, well, good for you. And it, like, I don't know. I, I don't really look at that as like an awesome thing. I just see that as like generally that probably means they're not very good at communication um, more than anything. So I'm lucky that I get along with with a lot of my clients and all the people who get referred to me and the people who generally are drawn to me already know enough about me to kind of know my mentality. And so we sit down. It's really just about like I want to know what their goals are, what their history is. Like I really want to understand who they are as a person because then we can kind of navigate a path forward. Um, and based on that conversation, it's usually pretty easy to tell whether or not we're going to be a good fit because I set expectations up front. I'm like, this is how I work. This is who I coach. Um, these are the results that I produce, you know, and, and if you're cool with that, this is what it's going to look like. And this is what you can expect, but I expect a lot from you and you can expect a lot from me. Right. And, um, you know, people are cool with that. And, and, and so it ends up being a, a pretty good relationship, you know, so no nonsense, no BS. This is what it is. Get the work done. So do you, how many, how many people do you currently coach right now? Uh, not a ton. I think I'm at like maybe 30 clients or something like that. Perfect. Um, yeah. So I'd like to get to about 40 and that's, but that's kind of like my cap. Uh, cause I do like my style of coaching is like very, very hands-on very, very hands-on, very in-depth. Um, and so because of that, I don't want to take on any more than that because that would just, 
I think I would just end up being like overburdened. It would take me a little longer to get back to people. Um, I wouldn't necessarily know everyone's strength level, like off the top of my head, you know, like I, I know if a client reaches out to me and they're like, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a squad, blah, blah. And like, I'm supposed to hit RP this. What do you think I should do? I, in my head, I could just be like, Oh, you need to do 640 or whatever, or like, you know, 330 or whatever the number might be. Right. Because I know my athlete strength that well, just because I always talk to them. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think that that's probably one of my favorite parts as well. I, I see that a lot. Like people get confused. They're like, well, you own a gym, so you must want to like blow up and have a lot of people there and have all these people running through your gym. And I'm like, no, I, it's more about the quality of the product that I'm trying to produce. It's not necessarily like thousands of people running through my gym. I just want quality people that I can train and that I can manage and hopefully help get good results. Cause if I'm having, it's like what you're saying. It's like, if it becomes too many, you can't provide that quality of a service that you are looking to provide. So that's, that's tough. Yeah. That's tough to balance. Well, I mean, there's guys like, do you know Greg Panora? Yeah. So he, he's, he's a good buddy of mine. And like, he, he coaches through train heroic and I don't know how much he charges, but it's like, you know, kind of a smaller monthly fee. Right. I, I would imagine. And he has over well over a thousand clients on there. Right. And, but the thing is like, I think because it's Greg Panora and because he went to West side, like the people who go there are going to be super intrinsically motivated and right. already like, fairly good level so they're not going to need that kind of handholding necessarily and so like he can do that and produce a fuck ton of crazy athletes but i think you know i'm not a massive name like the only people who know about me are other high level coaches you know but i don't have a million followers on instagram so i'm not like a household name or like that and so it's going to be a lot harder for someone like me maybe to to have a program like that because i'm not going to be attracting all of these like you know top tier guys because i don't necessarily have that uh that level of the the name the name or whatever name, but you know what i mean yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so so it definitely depends but that's okay because I, I prefer this anyways if i'm being honest so do you are a lot of you a lot of your clients in person right now so you don't do a lot of the online stuff or more of them in person then i don't do any in person okay. no I, i'm purely online yeah um i uh i love working as an online coach but I can't handle being around people for too long. <laughs> so like when I was a, an in-person PT, I was doing anywhere between 220 to 250 one-on-one -on -one sessions a month. Um, and like, I just was going hard, uh, but, but it just was draining me. You know, I had no life. I was stacking cash, but I like never saw my girlfriend. I was like stressed out all the time. And I was just like, yeah, this is not for me. So I, I, when I switched into online, I, I really liked it because I get to have a lot of that interpersonal relationship and connection, stuff like that. But at the same time, there's a degree of separation that for me anyways, ends up working really well. And I can actually be there even more for them, I find, uh, just because I kind of acknowledge the fact that I'm pretty introverted. So when you were competing, did you have a coach yourself or were you self-coached? Uh, I was always self-coached up until, um, uh, you know, maybe like, I want to say like a year or two ago. So whenever the last nationals was that, that I competed at, um, my coach was a guy that I knew actually, Paul O'Neill, super, super smart dude. Um, and also a very successful powerlifter previously when he was competing. And, uh, so he coached me up for that. And then I ended up winning nationals, which was really dope, but that was my first experience with like a coach, you know? 
Um, and now I'm just kind of working with a buddy of mine who's uh, actually he's like, he's not on social media, so no, one, no one's going to know him, but he's the strongest guy in Canadian history. He's like 83 kilos and he, he deadlift, I think like 824, just like, Oof. just a fucking monster dude. And he looks like Ronnie Coleman. Like he's so freaking jacked. He's just so jacked and lean and yeah, and he's tiny, man. It's, it's crazy. Um, so he's, uh, I kind of use him as like a consultant almost. He'll kind of consult me on like, um, you know, my nutrition, my training and stuff like that. And so it's, it's, it's been really interesting because I, I just really like that that process of, of like trial and error and, and figuring things out and experimenting and stuff like that. So I really like that. Yeah. Was there like, a, like some, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, go you're ahead. good. Ah, you're good. Go ahead. Go. What, what caused you to kind of reach out and find your own coach? Cause you'd gotten to a level obviously of some, some pretty, pretty awesome feats of strength, but was it, it wasn't probably a plateau, but it, it was it just that learning factor. If you kind of wanted to see or scratch the surface about what else was out there or, kind of like fill in some missing links that you kind of needed to be filled in or what, what made you finally decide, like, I need a coach. So, I mean, it was part of a lot of what you were saying, like, you don't know what you don't know. And, um, but I think a big thing for me was because I was so busy with work. Like I was, I was doing so much research at the time and I had my podcast. I mean, I still have the podcast, but I haven't kind of brought it back up again. So I was like writing research, I'm doing the podcast, I'm coaching a full roster, I'm developing educational curriculum for like tons of different organizations. Like I was just so busy that I just wanted to come in. Like, I just like training. I just like training and pushing super hard and fucking crushing it. So I didn't want to have to think about it. I didn't want to have to pivot. If, if something went wrong, I didn't want to have to be the one to think about it. So I was just like, you know what? Like I can't handle all this stuff, but this is my work. So I can't just be like, Hey guys, fuck off. I'm not going to work anymore. And so that's when I decided to to hire a coach. And, and it was, it was, dude, it was great. It was great. Like I, I don't think I'll ever work solo again. Um, even right now, even though right now, technically I don't necessarily have a coach. I have like more of a, like a consultant, but I think I'll probably at the very least have at least that for forever, just because it's just such a huge weight off of my chest that I don't have to think about. I get someone who's objective. I get someone who can look at me and, and see things through different eyes. And, you know, because I evaluate lifters based on my own criteria, based on my own experience and knowledge. Whereas, you know, there's lots of people who have different experiences and, and maybe different tips and tricks and little tactics that uh, can, can add up to some pretty significant performance um, um, advancements over time. Right. And so that's something I'm really grateful for, for sure. So I don't think I'll ever go back to just training solo, <laughs> you know, at least not for like extended periods of time. How much do you think being coached by someone else helped you with your ability to help your athletes? Oh, tremendously, like tremendously, because it, it's funny because you'll look at, you'll look at a coach and you'll look at their athletes and it's like, huh. All of this guy's athletes can squat like a motherfucker, but none of them can deadlift, you know, or these guys can all bench like crazy, but they can't squat worth a damn. Uh, or like you look at athletes who are just super weak and they're only squatting like, let's say 80 kilos, but they're wearing wraps. And it's like, dude, you should not be wearing wraps if you're only squatting 80 kilos. Like, come on. Even if it's a girl, like, come on, you know? And so like, you'll kind of see things and that's how they train. And I think regardless of how good you are, and even though you might individualize everything, you're still constrained by your own, by your own knowledge. And so getting out, experiencing other things, 
And, and also there's something to be said about understanding something conceptually versus actually experiment experiencing it. So like several years ago, I, I would have said that I was kind of against training to failure a lot. Um, and then when I worked with Paul several years ago, he had me training to failure on a lot of things. And then I was like, oh shit, now I get why people do it. And there were so many other things that don't even get discussed that uh that that are potential reasons for why you might do it like potential orthopedic benefits of training to failure because you're having to do less total volume um utilizing it at different stages of of your training uh, whether you're in, in season off season how far you are from competition so proximity to competition or, or major events or things like that so um and then also just technical improvement because if you're actually training to failure it can potentially be more more injurious and so you really have to dial in your technique you really have to connect to that mind muscle um uh, connection and then also just understanding the difference between training to failure on a squat versus a hack squat versus a leg extension and and the different you know stimulus and fatigue costs of it and so you get a much much more in-depth understanding of some of these concepts that are otherwise just communicated verbally because you've actually experienced it and so you get a lot of the practical elements that aren't necessarily communicated very often or even very well because you've actually done it firsthand. And so I think that having a coach and doing all that stuff, like you just get so much benefit. And again, it's one of those things like you don't know what you don't know. It's like when people come in and they're like, Oh, I've tried cutting carbs and I'm not losing fat or I tried this. And, and it's just like, all you can say is like, man, you have no fucking clue what you're talking about. Like you have no idea what you're talking about. And that's why you're experiencing this. Like, let me help you, you know? And I don't mean that from a condescending way either. I just mean, that's reality. You know, like I have this computer here and I know how to use it. If anything goes wrong, I don't know what the fuck to do. I don't know how to fix it. I'm not a computer engineer. Just because I have a computer doesn't mean I know how to fix it. And that's what a lot of people run into is they have bodies. They know how to eat. They know how to not eat things. And they think that that's all that dieting is. You know, meanwhile, I see powerlifters who are at a competition and they've got a fucking bag full of gummy bears. And I'm just like, dude, you're such an idiot. Like you, you, you dedicate so much to training and you push so hard, but then come competition day, you're going to feed yourself like a fucking trash panda. Like, what are you doing? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And, and so like, yeah, I don't know. But again, it's just one of those common things. It's like, Oh, powerlifters don't eat cardio. It's like, yes, you do. Oh, powerlifters can eat gummy bears and snack bars and blah, blah. And it's like, not if you want to really perform very well. And then they'll point to some guy who's like, Oh, well he did it. And it's like, Oh, are you Ed Cohen? Then shut the fuck up. Don't, don't point to him and pretend like you and him were even the same species. You know, like, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it's a little bit of rant, but. Come on. Everybody's like Ed Cohen. What are you talking about? Everybody can eat the yeah. gummy bears and lift a ton of weight. Yeah. So no. I don't even know if he did that. I, yeah, I was just no. an example, FYI. So I, I, think I don't I'm throwing him under the bus. Tommy said the same thing last time. It's like, he'll see people at lifts all the time that he goes and handles people. And it's just like, what are you doing? Why are you eating like that? Why, what, yeah. what are you, why are you trashing your day like that? Like. Alex, what did you do on lift day? What what were you eating throughout the day? The same shit I eat every day. Just I had protein pancakes. I had fucking <laughs> rice noodles. I had some candy. Like immediately after I was done lifting, doing the lift, I would have a little bit of sugar. But no, you got to have like real food. And I'm like the fucking weirdo because I have real food at the meet. I'm like, you guys don't know what's going on, do you? It's crazy though, because I'll see so many athletes and, and I'll take them through like uh, their first meat prep. Um like not, not their first meat prep, but their first meat prep where they actually have a, a nutrition protocol that they're following leading up to it. And like, if they're cutting weight, like a reconstitution protocol, 
and everything is dialed in, their nutrient timing is dialed in. It's like this many carbs at exactly this time, this many dinner. And, and people are like, oh, you don't need to get that specific, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, every single time I've ever done that for an athlete, they tell me, they're like, I feel amazing. I don't feel like I'm gassed. I don't feel like I'm full. I don't feel like I'm stuffed. I don't feel like I'm hungry. I don't feel like I have GI distress. And I feel like so much energy. Like I don't get gassed out after my, after I've done squats and then I go to bench press and I'm just fried. So like, I feel great. Like my energy was great the entire way through and they can really, really perform. And so it's like, I just hear it so consistently so that when people tell me like, Oh, well, it doesn't make that much of a difference. I'm like, all right, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm not going to stop doing it because I know it works like incredibly well, you know, and it, it's not like it's a small difference either. It's like, it's a dramatic difference in terms of your performance and your ability to sustain performance over the entire duration of a competition. Cause like, even I've been to competitions where they're not running shit very effectively. It starts at 9am and it finishes at 1130 PM. And you're like, dude, we're talking about like 10 hour flights. Like that's crazy for anyone to be able to sustain performance through that long. So you kind of have to plan for all of these things that, you know, are, are going to be unexpected sometimes. And so if you're just eating gummy bears, it's like, you're telling me you're not going to crash by the time you hit to, your, your deadlifts, it's like, come on, guys. Like, I don't know. That's exactly what I noticed at my last meet is by the time we got to deadlifts, all the people that were drinking energy drinks and eating sugar were like, oh, I feel terrible. And I'm like, I mean, yeah. I feel pretty good. My fucking hips were fried. Like, they were spent, but I felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't feel like all wired and just fried from, like you said, the energy drinks and all the candy yeah. and stuff like that. It's like, you know, so... It's uh so those people that always say it doesn't matter that much. It, I always just go back to like, well, then you don't want to be that good, right? Like, because at some point yeah. to be really, really good, all those things matter, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it, it's, especially the better you get, like people will say, oh, like nutrient timing only makes a small difference, and it's like, no. If you are good, nutrient timing can be a night or day difference in terms of the performance you have during your workouts, in terms of like just how effectively you're digesting and assimilating your food, uh, GI distress. If you have it, we can completely eliminate that uh, in, in most cases just by making some very simple modifications to nutrient timing and the composition of each meal. Um, you know, we can look at your sleep and proximity to, to actually going to bed to enhance the quality and the, and the depth of sleep that you're actually getting. And that's going to affect your recoverability and your ability to perform subsequent training sessions. So it's like, these things are not small and they bleed into everything else. And so when I hear people say that, it's just like, it's just that either, yeah, one, you just don't care or two, you, maybe you don't understand the depth of, of outcomes that you could possibly experience if you really implemented this in like a very three dimensional way while understanding all of the other moving elements as, as well. So it's uh it's, it's big, but again, you have to kind of be at that level where you're prepared and you have the skills to implement it effectively before it's actually going to have that effect. If you're eating like a dummy and you're inconsistent with your calories and your protein, and then you're trying to nutrient time protocol, probably not going to do anything for you. But if you're advanced, man, it, it can have a pretty profound effect on your, on your performance. So uh, yeah, getting I, to the level you're at, do you see that, that, that hole you're talking about is more like an abyss where you just kind of keep getting deeper and deeper into these concepts and they keep giving you like more return on investment almost? A hundred percent, but it's the, the hardest part. It, it's not necessarily that you'll do more and more and more. It's just that you do the same thing better, you know, because it's like the hardest thing to do is just the same shit over and over and over and over again and never deviate. 
Like if you draw, I, I remember hearing this a long time ago, and this kind of, I think rings true with, with training anyways. It's like, it's easier to draw a circle or like, you know, some sort of squiggly line than it is to just draw a perfectly straight line. Like drawing a perfectly straight line with no deviations is so hard. But if you're drawing something on a curve, you can kind of like shift your body a little bit to, to I don't know, they explained it to me and it made sense. I'm probably butchering this and sound like an idiot because I'm not an art student. But uh, it, it's kind of the same thing with training. It's like people always want to know what they can do. And I'm like, just do this, but a little better. Like, oh, what else can I do? No, no just do this, but a little bit better. And then if you just keep doing that, you give yourself two, three, five years, fuck, man, you are going to get some insane results just through the basics, you know? And then once you've really mastered that, then it's like, okay, now we can start looking at some of these really, really advanced protocols where you're taking your supplements at a specific time, you know? And that's more like advanced athletes who, who are enhanced. I don't know so much of that stuff, like with the enhancement side of things, but uh, I, I have friends who do and they talk to me and it's just like my mind gets blown by the effectiveness of some of these protocols but they're they're very complex at the same time so um yeah that's that's a whole nother thing would you attribute your like big success because i noticed on open powerlifting the you only have a couple meets but there's a big gap in between them and there's a substantial difference is that where you're able to make so much progress is because you rotate that time off and actually focus on doing that one thing and doing it better uh no. So, well, I don't know, maybe, I mean, <laughs> the unfortunate thing about my competitive frequency is, has been uh, health issues in the past. Um, so I had a really odd neurological condition um, about a year and a bit ago that just caused me to just faint arbitrarily multiple times a day. And uh, so obviously I was very nervous about getting under a, a squat bar and then just kind of collapsing and, <laughs> Even if I have spotters, it's just so dangerous. I could hurt them. I could hurt myself. So um, I had to step away from doing all of that stuff uh, for full year, basically. So I didn't touch any like free weight stuff because I was like, I, I don't want to kill myself, basically. So I'm doing like leg leg press and leg extensions and dumbbell and machine press. So, um, you know, getting back into it now, my strength is starting to come back. It's not where it was, but it's starting to come back. And so I suspect that probably sometime mid this year, I'll be able to compete again because I don't want to compete until I'm at least lifting what I was lifting before, you know, like until I'm squatting like for reps in like the low to mid 600s, I'm just not even going to consider competing. And then once I can, then I'll compete. And then, you know, we'll, we'll look at putting on some, some muscle and, uh, and, and starting to push the total up a little bit more. I'd like to probably compete at a once per year frequency that would be good because like, I don't compete to win anything. I don't compete to do anything other than do better than I did before, which I know kind of sounds a little weird. It's like, well, why would you compete? Why wouldn't you just train in the gym? But I think competition is a really high level of standard uh, of like the, the quality of work that you're doing. Um, and I wouldn't want to compete more because I am pretty busy. Like I, I have a, you know, I've got a lot of athletes. It takes a lot of time to, to work with them and to coach them. Um, even just writing for different publications, like people don't realize how long it takes to write an article. Like there was an article that took me eight months to write one time because it was like, uh, and it's not published yet. <laughs> so hopefully that's going to be published soon, but it's like, it took so long to do the research, like so long because there's so much research involved. But now I can, I can sit here and confidently say that, you know, like there's not a single other article like this on the internet that talks about, um, you know, weight loss and, and weight prevention and weight reduction and, and maintenance and all that stuff, because 
no one wants to do that much work. And that's the real, you know, so, so it's like, um, that shit just ends up sapping all my time. And so once per year is like, I'm, I'm good with that, you know? How did, how did you get into the publication side of things? Was that just some, like something you always wanted to do? Did you want to write for some of these big time companies or did you just kind of fall into it based on your training or how did that come about? Uh, dude, I didn't think I was a good writer at all. I, uh, <laughs> I, one of my buddies, Andrew Coates, uh, shout out to him. He, um, I saw him, he got published on like Teen Nation or something like that. And I was like, oh, wow, it's really cool. So I ended up reaching out to him and was just like, hey, man, like, how, how'd you get, you know, published? And he's like, oh, you know, I uh, just built a relationship with them over time and blah, blah, blah. And I was doing this and doing that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And so he gave me some advice. And then uh, basically I just wrote an article and I submitted it to, I don't even know who, maybe like Barbend or something like that. And they, they took it and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I got lucky. Right. And so then I submitted another one to another publication. And they took it and they published it. And then I did it again and again and again. And like after a while, I was like, oh, okay, I got like two dozen articles published. I've never even spoken with an editor, which means they haven't edited my article at all. Uh, so you just kind of accepted it as is and published it. So I'm like, all right, okay, maybe I guess it's okay. And then Andrew actually was the one who reached out to me. He's like, hey, dude, congrats. And I'm like, on what? He's like, oh, your articles are like winning awards. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you won like best fitness article of this and best fitness article of the year and best fitness. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, oh, okay. And I started looking at it and then I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm like not too bad at this, right? And then I just started submitting articles to like Kabuki and, you know, uh, T Nation and all these other places. And then they just kind of accepted them. And then I know Greg Knuckles shouted out one of my articles on his podcast. And he was like, so like, he's someone I really look up to. You know, like he's a smart fucking dude and crazy strong. And so he talked about my uh, my recovery article. He's like, yeah, I think this might be the best comprehensive, uh, most comprehensive recovery article on the Internet. Uh, that Definitely the best one that's free anyways. And I was like, holy shit. And so like, again, someone sent that to me. I had no idea. And so at that point, I was just like, OK, you know what? I think this is something that I can actually do. Like and as stupid as it sounds, I really just thought I was kind of getting lucky. Um and that's when I started really enjoying the writing process. And I was like, okay, you know what, maybe, maybe I do have an aptitude for this. And then I started doing a lot more like research heavy stuff and writing a lot more like long form, uh, long form articles for, for different, uh, different publications. And it's something I took a break from last year, just cause there's a lot of stuff going on with the health issues and all that jazz. But, uh, I I'm been getting back into it the last like month, I'd say, because it is something I really enjoy. And I, I did definitely encourage anyone. If, if you guys do like writing, if you got great information, there's a lot of fucking dummies out there, man. So if you guys got good information, like put it out, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to help someone. So, yeah. I'm working on getting my writing to the point where I don't sound like the dummy because I can speak well, but writing, oh, fuck me. That's a bit of a challenge. I feel like what you were talking about where you're like, yeah, I don't know if I can even do this. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because when you write, it really forces you to clarify your thoughts because when you're speaking, I can and I mean, you, anyone who's been listening to the podcast knows that I have a tendency to just kind of go off on these tangents because my fucking mind is going a million miles a minute. So I can't stay focused. Right. But you can't do that when you're writing. You know, like I can do that and still make sense at the end of it. But then you might look at me and be like, dude, you literally could have just said yes. And that's it. But you went off on this fucking monologue. Whereas with writing, you can't do that because if you're just using a bunch of fillers, when you read it again, you're like, ah, it's just this is just bad. And then you just delete it. 
And so you have to learn how to really be concise with your writing, clear communicating your thoughts. You have to do a very good job because you're, if you're going to say this, they might come back and say, okay, well, what about this? So then you have to make sure you contextualize everything. You have to make sure you address that issue either directly or indirectly. Or So it, it just makes you like really, really good at, at thinking about things and I guess stating your, your position and argument in a very strong and defensible manner. And so I, I definitely think that it's made me a better coach. And at the very least, it's made me a better um, thinker, I guess. If that makes sense. Um, do you guys write for your own or are you, are you writing for your own website or are you writing for other publications? I just do my own sub stack. I started it last year as just like a daily practice to get better at what you're talking about is basically forming thoughts and different things like that. And I just use it in that sense as like a long form content type of thing for people to read. Oh, sweet. What What is a sub stack? I've heard that word before, but I don't know what it is. It's literally just like your own publication. So you just get on there and it's like a blog type thing almost. Oh, cool. Is, is it like a website, but then everyone can host their own blog within that website? Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. You should probably check it out actually. Yeah. That Send way me you don't a, have to. send me your thing. I'd love to read the articles you have up. Yeah, for sure, man. But yeah, I, there was another guy we had on here. I don't know if you know who Ray Zingler is. He's a high school coach, strength coach um, down in Georgia, but he does it all the time. And I started reading his articles and I'm like, man, this looks like a really good exercise to try and do. And so I started doing that. And after doing, I don't know, like 150 to 180 of them last year, I'm like, oh, I actually kind Holy of figured shit. this out. That's Yeah, a because it's lot. like every day. They're not very That's long, a lot. but yeah, it's just practice, right? Got to get the repetitions in like you were talking about. Do the same thing, but do it better. That's that's a lot. That's impressive, man. 180. That is a Yeah, lot. something like that. I just fucking went off the deep end. I I don't have I don't have any uh what's the word I'm looking for? It's all I'll go with me. There is no like, hey, let's do this slowly. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Uh, I can respect that, man. I get an email every day. New Substack from Alex. New Substack from Alex. New Substack Yeah. from Alex. Yeah, I was I'm like, at 171 at the moment. there you So go. geez, man. That's that's impressive, dude. All right, now you got to step your game up and submit something to like Elite 365 FPS this or year or what no i don't dude i got to get better at writing before T i Nation. can fucking submit anything to those guys I remember listening reading a to lot daniel of T Nation. here i'm like oh man there's a lot i got to learn about this writing thing Man, honestly, I think the best way to do it is just do it because if you fuck it up and they reject it, they'll tell you what you need to do differently, you know? oh that'd be nice Um, Cause like, yeah. So I, I guess my, my um, experience with writing apparently is very different than most other people's. This is what I've been told anyways, through a handful of writers that I speak to. So I guess normally people will have like that relationship with the editor and they'll kind of go back and forth and kind of make changes and do this and that. I don't think I've ever spoken with an editor before. Um, I just submit it and then they publish it. So I don't know how any of that other process works um i only know that people have told me that how i've been doing it isn't generally how it's done there's usually a lot more back and forth but um uh when i was so when i was uh like director of education at kabuki I, we would we would accept um, outside submissions and um unfortunately i never published any of them because i just didn't think that they were at the quality that i'd be comfortable with publishing um but I would always sit down and be like, hey, um, I think you did a great job of this article, but how is this different than any of the other articles about this thing that are already there? Like, what's novel about this? What's interesting? How can people apply it in a slightly different way? How can people do this and do that? And like, what about, and so like, I would always try and get feedback. And I think most um, editors are the same. 
because they want content. It's free content, you know, and they might pay you a little bit. Like I know T Nation pays me and some other places pay me. I have a PayPal somewhere that I've literally never checked. It's probably got some cash in it, but I, I've, that's not why most people do it, I think. And so, um, so they're, they're happy to really sit down with you and be like, Hey, this is fantastic. I just want you to maybe use less technical jargon, or I want you to maybe, you know, pull out some of these filler words. Why is this concept in there? Is that really necessary? Is that enhancing it? Or is that just kind of distracting from the, the central premise or whatever? Um, and they really will help you. And then there's also like a couple of books that you can read and stuff like that. But really, I think writing is probably the best. Like, I guarantee you're a lot better at writing than you probably give yourself credit for. Um, I think everyone just kind of normally shits on themselves. And they're like, oh, I'm fucking weak. Oh, I'm a piece of shit. Oh, I'm fat. Oh, I'm this and that. It's like, did you got a six pack? Yeah, but I'm still fat. And then, you know, if you, if you look at Chris Bumstead and you're like, oh, oh, the most physique aesthetic like guy in the world. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. You're absolutely right about that. There's something I've noticed with these really high achieving people. They're always like, yeah, I'm not that good at this. I'm like, yeah. uh, hold on. Like I've even heard John Hack talk about it on like uh table talk. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm like, dude, you're like one of the best ever. What do you mean? I'm like what? Yeah, <laughs> John Hack is a freaking freak, man. Like 600 pound bench press is absurd. Like, I don't think people realize sometimes how crazy that is. They're like, oh yeah, he's got like a 2,200 pound total. And you're like, no, no, like you don't understand. It's like, that can kill you. You don't understand what that's like. It's like motherfucker. Yeah. Dude, the freaking unit, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> I remember we initially talked cause you were, I think you were reaching out about coaching almost. And we were talking about totals and stuff. What is your like end goal as far as powerlifting? Do you have like a weight class you want to get to and a total you want to set, or you just try to take it as far as you can and see where that ends up? Um, I just kind of want to take it as far as I can, I guess. Like, I mean, it would be cool to sit here and say like, oh, I want a 2K total. And realistically, I know that I could get a 2K total if I go to wraps. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Like I, I enjoy the process. I'm not someone who's genetically gifted for strength. I've had to put on so much muscle and so much size just to compensate for my shit strength genetics. Um, and so I have a lot more to put on. I, I think... Ultimately, what I'd like to do is I'd like to be 285 at about 10% body fat. Um, I'd like to, you know, squat 800. Um, I don't really care about deadlift and I'd like to uh, bench press 500 maybe, you know. The reason why I say I don't care about deadlifts is because I'm terrible at it. So, <laughs> you know, let's say, let's say if I could deadlift, like, I don't know, close to eight, that would be really cool. Um but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily have like specific goals, I guess. Like I just, I find that when I focus on goals, it really pulls me away from like right now what I need to do. And so if I just focus on doing what I need to do, I always get better results. I always enjoy the process more. I'm able to build momentum faster and sustain it for longer. So I kind of have been trying to steer away from setting goals like that. Um, and that's just me. I know for some people they need that, but for me, it kind of has like a counter, uh, counterproductive effect. Yeah. It's, uh, like most of the successful people I see the daily habits are what make you the good person or not. Right. So having the bigger goal is just something to stare at in the distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't, yeah, I can't be so. He, he goes, yeah, I, I'd like to get the 2000 total. And then the numbers he gives are just a, a nonchalant 1900. So he's just like, yeah, cool. Whatever. <laughs> 
just just nonchalant. <laughs> I, I I could do nineteen nineteen hundred. You know, nonchalant. That's that's awesome. I I I hate squatting, so that would be deadlifts. Okay, I don't mind a deadlift, but man, I don't like squatting. That's the worst of the three for me. I think Alex would agree. Squatting's the I worst. Fuck, squatting. I hate squatting. I don't know why, but what's what's the one? Do you hate deadlifts the most, Daniel? Is that your least favorite? Yeah. I'm just not very good at it, you know, like I, I find it's very hard for me to get into like a good position. And so I can I can usually get into a better position pulling sumo, but I don't have the hips to like have that really nice, you know, sumo pull. So I basically just end up doing a wide stance conventional. Um, and so right now I'm actually playing around with doing both to so I'm, I pull conventional now and I'm playing around with both to see which one's actually going to work best. Uh, but yeah, it's just not, it's not a strength yet. Uh, how tall are you? How tall are you? Um, 183 centimeters. So like six, one or something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You threw me for a loop there on the centimeters thing. I'm not. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> yeah. I didn't uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do that conversion for you. No shot. So yeah. you were the direct, you said the director of education at Kabuki. Does that just mean that a lot of what was being publicated had to run through you before it got put out into publication? Or did you have other jobs that um, kind of went along with that? Or what, what did that job entail um, exactly? Because they have some sweet strength equipment, by the way. So you guys haven't checked out Kabuki yeah. stuff. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, so when you work at Kabuki, everyone kind of wears a billion different hats. So... Um, when I started there, I was a coach and I got hired because of the articles that I published through them actually. And they asked me to apply it. And so that's how I got the job initially. Um, and then when they made me director of education, basically I was responsible for a lot of like course curriculum. So I made, um, uh, I made a course called like the nutrition masterclass. Um, and Brandon Morgan, who he's, he's director of education there now. Um, he did that with me as well. So it was like 60, 40 me to him kind of thing. So we both worked on that and that's been their most successful course, I believe period that they've ever had. And so I would develop a lot of courses like that. Uh, I was working on a powerlifting certification with them, um, we do other courses. And so I, I was like responsible for like a lot of the research, the organization, if we were doing like um, courses that required collaboration, I would have to organize all of that stuff and make sure that we had these meetings where we kind of outline the, the general structure and the flow of everything and make sure that the research was there. Um, I'd write articles. I would do like video content for them and lectures that are kind of behind the paid wall uh, for their like Kabuki library or whatever it's called now. I can't, I can't remember. Um, so I do a lot of lectures and just different things like that. Um, and then I ran their Kabuki education week last year. Um, and so I would do stuff like that. Um, I would work on like different opportunities to, to kind of grow the educational side of things. Um, and then develop curriculum for like other organizations as well. And, and so it was, it was like a pretty, it was a pretty cool position because I kind of could just do whatever I wanted. And I had a lot of creative um, flexibility in terms of what I wanted to do. So I really liked that aspect of it. Uh, but there was like a lot of different hats that you'd have to wear basically. So. so is that why you branched off and decided to do your own thing? Because it was just like they were throwing a lot at you or is it just like, 
I kind of want to do my own thing and not have to do whatever they're telling me to do. Uh, no, I mean, they were great. Like they never told me I had to do anything. I was always the one who just decided what I was going to do. Um, and they were in line with it and it was great. So I, I loved it. And, uh, the, the reason why I split off was just because, um, basically our relationships kind of reached a point where, you know, there was, there was me and there was a, another individual there. Um, and we just didn't really see eye to eye on certain things. And I felt like it was just kind of um, creating a bit of a negative relationship and it was like slowing down progress. And there's, uh, there's a lot of like redundancies. And so I was just like, okay, you know, like, I mean, this isn't really working. Um, and it kind of just kind of reached, I guess, like the, you know, the fork in the road and we ended up just kind of parting ways. So I, I got nothing bad to say. Like Chris is still, I still do some contracting work on the side. So I'll do some research for him on the side every now and then. Uh, he's a great dude. He invited me into his home when I first got there. He didn't have to, but that means like a lot to me anyways. Um, and so, yeah, like made a lot of friends there, a lot of really great people there. Um, nothing bad to say about him. So. It's too nice. He won't tell us the deets of what really happened. Just too. <laughs> all you, all you Canadians are just too nice. You won't tell any of the dirty secrets when things, no, I'm just kidding. But... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So are you going to stay as Canada forever going to be the thing? Or are you going to move to America or what's like short-term goal, long-term goal? We got to get, we got to um, get, we're trying to get all the good Canadians to come, come South. We yeah. want to send people to Canada and then bring the good ones with us. So yeah, no, I so think I'm you, you passed. Oh, actually, okay. Yeah. Um, but I've lived in Canada on and off for, you know, quite a while. Uh, but uh, I was living in Portland last year when I was working at Kabuki because that's where their HQ is. And uh, I fucking hated it. Oh, what a rough place. Oh, the people there are like some of the worst people I've ever met in my life. Oh, hate that place. Yeah. But uh, so my plans right now are a little bit up in the air because I'm thinking about, um, I got a lot of friends in the fitness industry. So like, um, you know, I kind of want to go and visit a lot of them. And basically just train with them for a while. We can record some content together. So like Joey Satz, um, you know, like RP guys, so Dr. Mike, even like Dave Tate and stuff like that. Um, and like Stan Efferdine. So there's a bunch of dudes where like they're all out of the U.S., you know, like all the big fitness guys they here out of the U.S. So I kind of I kind of wanted to like one of my things that I really wanted to do was um, just go somewhere for like a month or six weeks and just train with them, learn from them. Um you know, record a bunch of content and then move on to another place. And that's kind of what I was thinking about doing next year, but it depends on, you know, my girlfriend's work. It depends on whether or not I can hit a certain uh, target financially with, with my company. Um, I'm very frugal. And so I always want to make sure that I have a good buffer and I'm in a really, really good spot before I make a move. So um, yeah, it kind of depends on a couple of things, but I think that stuff's going to be more or less ironed out like by the end of next month. So that's kind of the goal. Uh, it just depends on when it's going to happen. If it's going to happen in March when my lease at this condo is up, uh, or if it's going to happen maybe a month later, maybe it's going to happen a little sooner, but something like that, you know? Um, and that's kind of the goal with that as far as like, did you ask about my business goals or no? Yeah. What's, what's next for the business even? Like, what are your, what do you look forward to in that, that venture? So again, a lot of the stuff is just kind of up in the air. There's a lot of stuff that I know I can do. Um, 
like what interests me is I, I love education. I love talking about coaching. I love getting deep into like, especially behavior. Um, probably most of the podcasts that I've been invited on, one of the most common themes that people get me to talk about is behavior change regarding nutrition interventions. Um, it's just something that I've done so well for so long. Uh, and, and there's not a lot of things that I would really be like, oh, I'm really good at that. Like, I, I think I'm pretty good at a lot of things, but I don't think there's a lot of things I'm like really good at. But that's one thing is, is addressing behavior change that I know that I'm really fucking good at. And uh, so I love talking about that. And it's just really, really interesting learning how people operate, right? And so um, I've, I've liked the idea of doing education. I've liked the idea of, you know, hosting seminars and doing like, you know, bringing people together and stuff like that. Um, I've thought about maybe hiring coaches underneath me. I've thought about all sorts of things, but I don't necessarily know what I'm going to do because I've just spent most of my life working all hours of the night. And so this is going to be kind of the first time where I'm like, you know what? Like I have a really comfortable life. My training's going well. Um, I've been like doing random things. Like I'm not religious, but I've been going to church. I've really been loving it. Just meeting the kind of people who are there. And so I want to do more of that stuff. And like, um, I love singing as odd as it sounds. And so like taking singing lessons and just doing more shit like that. And, uh, and I think that once I get to that point where I reach that kind of next milestone, I'm just going to kind of wait until I'm there before I decide what I'm going to do next, instead of kind of always having this like, Oh, here's the next five years of my life. Like I just kind of want to get to enjoying my life a little bit more nowadays, especially after like thinking that I was going to fucking die the other year. Um, that was kind of a big wake up call for me. So, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're living things on your terms right now, which is nice. That's a nice feeling. A lot of people don't get to that. So that's huge. Yeah. I was, I was very fortunate, man. It's, uh, it's funny because sometimes, you know, you get kicked in the dick and uh, it ends up being, being a really good thing, you know? So it was, it was definitely the worst year of my life. Like not even comparable. It was such a hard year, but like what I got out of it, I'm just so grateful for. So uh, my outlook on life and just everything completely radically changed. So I, I definitely am grateful for that. So yeah, we'll see. I don't, I don't know what churches you're walking into, but I, you can give me some of those locations that way. Cause maybe some poor people down here need to have that spirit of like, you actually enjoyed watching into a church. Some people don't enjoy walking into churches down here. So that's, that's a plus that's a positive. So that's, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So like, um, I'm a big fan of like Jordan Peterson. I know a lot of people are really conflicted on him, but ultimately I think that if you were to boil down all the bad aspects of, of what he does and all the good aspects of what he does, I think he's definitely a net positive, you know, and he's obviously a very intelligent guy. People can be like, Oh, he's an idiot. And this and that dude, he's smart. He's got a really high IQ. He's literally a genius by definition. So there are certain things that he says that I really resonate with. And I really liked uh, a lot of his talks about like the biblical lectures and things like that. And, you know, Again, like I said, I'm not religious, but I really do think that there are certain truths and certain messages and values that are conveyed very, very well through religion. And so that kind of inspired me to like go. And I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to see what this is like. And I went and and uh, I'm really lucky because my sister told me about this place. And they're just like they completely own who they are. There's not like, oh, we're Christian, but we also will be OK if you do this. It's like, no, these are our values. And if you are not part of this, then that's fine, but you cannot call yourself a Christian. Like they really hold each other to like a good high standard. They have like really strong morals, really strong convictions. They they like don't let 
people bully them into into behaving or believing a certain way because that's what's popular or that's the status quo. And that's something I really, really admire and respect. Like, I don't like people who just are kind of chameleons and they'll just sort of adapt to whatever. And so when I went there and their messages were like incredibly powerful and, and just super productive and super helpful for me anyways. So I've only been going for probably like five or six weeks now, but um, I I don't think I'll ever stop. Like it's it's just been so helpful for me. And like, I also think that the kind of people who are there are probably just like good hearted people, you know, who aren't like broken and traumatized and whatever. And I mean, sure, they're, you know, they're everywhere, but like, I don't know. It's just as odd as it sounds, like I just want to be around people who are kind of normal. Like my upbringing was a little bit crazy and, and, you know, like just being around a bunch of fucking criminals and stuff like that. I mean, like I've got tattoos all over me and like this one says sinner and stuff like that. And it's just like, not the best stuff. So the more I can be around kind of normal people and just kind of see how they live their lives. I'm like, you know, man, this is really cool. Like, I really admire that. You know, you see these young people, their families, they've got just really strong values. Like I love that. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a really cool experience. That's for sure. That's, that's cool. That's cool to hear that from my perspective. That's really cool to hear that. Do you think your upbringing was part of the reason you've become so good at this behavioral change thing to be able to help others? No, man. <laughs> no, dude. My, uh, I, I could, I could have gone with a different childhood, but uh, that's okay. Everyone has their own problems, you know. Um, I think, uh, I think what initially led me to that was just because I was dealing with a lot of uh, a lot of issues that were just really harming me, you know. Um, like I, I, you know, was diagnosed with like CPTSD long time ago and and uh just hearing that i was like oh my life made so much more sense to me you know and then that led me down kind of a rabbit hole of all the associated like comorbidities and, and other things that kind of lead to that and how that could be an outgrowth of a b and c and blah 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 and so um i just basically started reading everything i could on it like i read a lot anyways and so when I started reading that and implementing these things, I started noticing changes and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And then like, it, it, it was almost like there was just so much shit that you would kind of hear being regurgitated on social media about how people need to live and, oh, you shouldn't judge people for this. No, you shouldn't do that. And a lot of it I just found was the exact opposite of what people actually need. You know, like people don't need to be coddled. People want to be held to a higher standard. And I mean, there's even like something called the big mailing effect where essentially you're going to be elevated to the standard that people hold you to, or you're going to fall to the standard that people hold you to, you know? And, and so there's a lot of things that kind of run contrary to how people are living their lives, especially on like what you see being promoted on social media and just, you know, being normalized. And, and, um, and so it's just a really interesting like learning experience. I was basically like, okay, my life is kind of a, what not to do, um, you know, book. And, and I was just kind of like having to unlearn how to do all this sh shitty behaviors, you know? Uh, so just like learning better impulse control, um, understanding like, you know, certain behaviors or certain environments that might lead to, to certain, uh, certain behavioral outcomes and certain habits and things like that. And then, um, you know, developing very simplistic interventions and then learning how to implement an intervention, learning how to scale it. And so it was kind of just through that process of like learning how to unfuck myself that, I got pretty good at it because then you start doing that with other people and then maybe they have a problem that you've never heard of. And then you, you know, so I'll reach out to one of my colleagues and be like, Hey, have you ever heard of this? Cause I know I'm, I'm really fortunate to know a lot of people in the industry, but then also a lot of people in like psychology and, and, and sociology and things like that. So 
a lot of the times I can reach out to them and kind of, um, you know, just pick their brain and, and they're very gracious with their time as well. So I get to learn uh, for myself. And then I also get the opportunity to, to implement that with some of my clients and, and see some pretty cool results with them and, and see how it benefits their life. And so um, just a long process of, of trial and error and basically being a shitty person for a long time. And then, being a less shitty person. <laughs> nah. you know, I, I can relate to that. I get yeah. that hundred percent. You came with, out on the other side of it. With the new year being, you know, three days ago, what would be like top three things you would tell somebody for trying to change their behavior? Um, the first thing I would say is, do you actually want to change your behavior? Um, a lot of the times people think they want something, but they actually don't. And they're ambivalent. And, you know, if you look at a at a, an abusive relationship, for instance, this is an extreme example, but it, it's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm saying it because it really highlights the point. You know, if you're in an abusive relationship, why do men and women stay in abusive relationships? Right. It, it should be really obvious. Like, why are you staying if this person is abusing you? But the reality is they're fulfilling some sort of need for them. Right. And this is really complex and it can go a million different ways, but I'll just try and keep it a little more superficial. Essentially, the need that they get and the familiarity that they get from that dynamic is more comfortable to them than venturing out into the unknown. And so even though they hate their situation because it's familiar, it's serving a purpose, you know, mechanistically for them. And so. A lot of the times people say they want to change, but they actually don't. And they're actually not ready to change. You know, if you really want to change, I can tell you change happens instantaneous. It doesn't take you months or years or weeks. No, it happens instantaneous. And there's plenty of examples. You know, a guy smokes his entire life, can't quit. He's tried a million times. He fucking sees his baby for the first time. He never touches a cigarette again. You know, like that's real change. And unfortunately, what happens is a lot of the times, and this, this is where I'm just going to talk about my opinion versus what's actually found in the research. My opinion on this is that I think a lot of the times when people are reading self-development books and doing all the quote-unquote internal work, I think a lot of the times it's just bullshit. And sometimes they're just working up the nerve to actually make that decision that they're done, that they're done with behaving how they used to be. And sometimes it takes a long time because these things can be really deeply entrenched. And so... Um, I would ask, like, is this actually something you want to do? And and if they say yes, then I might say, okay, why is it something you want to do? Like, do you know who you are? What are your values? You know, who, who do you represent as an individual? Is this something you want to do because that's who you actually are? Or is it something you want to do because you think that it's a good idea and you want to, you that that's who you think you want to be, you know? Um, and I guess an example of that is like, I'm a really violent person. Like, I like fighting. If a dude comes up to me and he starts saying some shit, I like beating the fuck out of him. I know that makes me a bad person, right? But because I can acknowledge that, I don't have to fight anymore because I can acknowledge that. So I can keep myself away from those situations. And if some guy does try doing that, I know that I have the opportunity to either smash him or I can diffuse the situation. But I can't change that until I acknowledge who I actually am, you know? And that might not make me look good. And other people might be like, oh, you're just a fucking buffoon or you're a, you know, a Neanderthal or whatever who's super violent and can't solve his problems through, through communication. It's like, all right, cool. But I'm doing this by choice now. Whereas a lot of people who choose not to fight, they don't have the option to fight. They're doing it out of fear. So that's not really a choice, you know? And so I think it's really, really important to know who you are. I think it's really important to know whether or not you actually want to change. 
And then if you've established those two things, then I would just say start small and start way smaller than you think you need to. And I'd also probably say get some support because if you don't like your life or if you don't like a certain aspect of your life, you're the one who got you there. This brain is the, the person who literally put you there. So most likely you're not going to be capable of getting out on your own because if you could, you already would be, you know, and, and I think people like to, to convince themselves, Oh, no, 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 I can do this. Oh, I'm reading all these books. And it's like, dude, if self-help books worked, you'd only need to read one and that'd be it. But self-help book is like a, they're like a billion dollar industry and most of them don't work. And that's why people keep, you know, getting stuck in this like self-help purgatory. So I think you do need to find someone else who actually has the result. And this is another problem I have with psychology. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. If you look at the, the prevalence of, of, of mental illness within psychologists, it's staggering. So why the fuck are you hiring a psychologist who doesn't have their life together? All they can do is tell you how to get to their life. They might be able to improve this aspect of your life, but this aspect of your life is going to remain a dumpster fire because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. So it's like you need to find someone who actually has the outcome that you want. And once they do, then you need to shut the fuck up and stop trusting your gut. And you need to just listen to them and implement what they're saying. And then it's very simple. If your life improves, they are correct and you are wrong. If your life doesn't improve and you've genuinely been, been implementing them, then maybe they're not the right person and maybe they're not the right, uh, maybe the intervention is not correct and then you move on, right? Or sometimes it's just a matter of you're not waiting long enough. So, so I would say those are the three things. Like one, make sure you know who you are. Two, make sure you're actually, you know, at a place where you're willing to change. And then three, make sure you have someone else who actually has the outcome that you want and, and follow them and start very small and smaller than you think you need to. And then be patient and just move slowly and consistently. That's an interesting, I didn't know that about psychology. I didn't know. That's an interesting little fact. So you're basically going to someone that doesn't have their stuff together to try to get your stuff together. They can only get you to the level of where their life's at. That's a good way. I yeah, learned. I mean, that's like taking nutrition advice from a fat doctor, right? It's like, what the exactly. fuck? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Exactly. Huh. Hmm. Okay. Now I'm intrigued. I just want him to keep, give us some more behavioral stuff. Come on. Come on. That's <laughs> How did right, you? How did no you? Idea this was your specialty, and now that's all we're going to ask you about. Well, so was it just was it just because of like what you had experienced as a child? Did you that you just read about all this stuff and got into this stuff? You didn't have any formal education on this stuff. You were just so interested in it. You, I don't, just, I don't have any formal education. Yeah, <laughs> I just read a lot, and I didn't have a lot of friends. I wasn't a very popular guy, and so I would just go home and read a lot. Um, I remember. My teacher told me I was stupid. He's like, you're really stupid and you're not going to amount to anything behaving like this, you know? And I'm so grateful for him because I'm not going to hate on him and be like, oh, you're wrong. Look at who I am. It's like, no, 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 you were right. You were hundred percent right. And, and exactly what he said is what actually helped me. Um, so I'm really grateful for him because he, he was doing his job as an educator and, and he was honest with me. And so he told me that I was stupid and he's like, you're never going to amount to anything because you don't apply yourself. He's like, you're just going to end up like one of these other fucking losers that I used to hang around a lot of like shady people at the time. And like a lot of them were like in gangs and stuff like that. And, and he's like, you're just going to end up, end up like one of them. You're going to either commit suicide. You're going to end up in jail. You're going to get killed. And, uh, and, and I'm like, I was so grateful for that because I, then I went home and I was like, you know what? I suck. I got to start reading books. And I started reading and I was so slow at reading. And then, but I just kept doing, kept doing it. And then eventually I got really, really good at reading. And then I got very fast at reading. And then my comprehension improved and then my ability to comprehend things and actually retain the knowledge 
over time improved. And then I was able to condense things. And then when audiobooks came out, I was able to listen to books really, really quickly. And so I ended up, you know, on average, I'd read between two to five books a week between actually physically reading them and listening to audiobooks. And so it's just like, I was able to consume so much information and I was doing that for like 15 years, you know, well, since I was, so maybe now like 20 years and I would have breaks in, in between like, um, the last, like, I'd say two months, I stopped listening to audiobooks and stopped reading because it was just too much for me at the time. I needed to focus on some other stuff. But for the most part, I was doing that pretty consistently. And so, I mean, if you add that up over time, like, it's a lot of books. And I just enjoy learning. You know, that's like, I just really enjoy the process of learning because it's like, it can only make your life better, you know? And so that was basically how, like, I kind of came across a lot of this stuff. Um and then also just like having dysfunctional relationships and being dysfunctional myself, you know, like I was like, man, I'm not, uh, you know, like, I think I'm smart, but I keep doing stupid things and my relationships are not where I want them to be. And so I guess I just have to assume that no matter how smart I think I am and no matter how much I know, I just have to assume that I don't know, um, like what I know is incorrect, you know, or at the very least incomplete. And so, yeah, it's just like, I just find it interesting, I guess. How do you think someone gets to the point where you are, where you don't have the ego getting in your way, telling you and gassing you up all this stuff where you can just be like, you know what, this is obviously what's happening and I'm the only one in control of it. So like, how does someone get to that point? Cause what I run into with people is that they can't get out of their own way because the ego is preventing them from being able to do so oftentimes. I mean, I still definitely have an ego. Like, um, I, I, I like, I, I have a huge ego actually. And, um, that's the thing that I have to continuously remind myself about is so every time I do think, Oh no, like I've got this, I have to point my, you know, like point finger at myself and be like, Hey, shut the fuck up. Remember what happened last time you did this? You're not invincible. You're not that smart. You're not that great. You're not special. Shut the fuck up, be humble, treat other people with respect and actually, you know, learn something from them. And so I think it's just like, I don't think having an ego is bad. Like if you look at most, like successful people, they generally have a pretty big ego. I think what happens is when you start thinking that it, when you start believing your ego, you know, like I know, I know I'm a bad person. Like I know that I know I'm not a good person. I know that I'm not like super smart. I know that I'm not all these things, but like, I want to believe I am. And it's really enticing to believe I am. Um, and so I'm very lucky that I have friends around me too, who like, you know, every six months or a year, uh, I ask them like, you know, what's holding me back in my life? What are my biggest weaknesses? What are my biggest strengths? What do I need to do more of to get forward? Um, and, and they tell me, and it's, it's always like really terrible shit. Like, you know, like you think they're going to be like, Oh, well you just need to, you know, put in more hours and like make more sales calls or something like that. And then they're like, I don't like inviting you out my friends because you get into arguments with them. And you're like, Oh dude, like that sucks to hear, you know? Or they'll say some stuff that just like, and that other people might not think that's a big deal. But when I heard that, that's an actual thing my friend told me a long time ago. And that really hurt. That was the first time that I actually did that exercise, I think back in 2017. And that really hurt. And I was like, man, that's fucking terrible. And, uh, and so it really challenges you. And so I'm lucky to have friends like that who are honest with me and who don't just let me slide on shit. Like if they see I'm slipping, they'll call me out 100%. And um, so I think having those people in your life is really, really good. And then just, yeah, like, you know, if, if you don't have the life that you want, it's your fault nine times out of 10, you know, and obviously we're talking 
not if you were like sold into slavery or the sex trade or if terrible things happened to you when you're a kid, like that's out of your control. But as an adult, you have control over how you live your life. You have control over your outcomes. And so, you know, I think as an adult, we get to make those changes and, and make those choices. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just about like being honest about yourself and about your flaws and your shortcomings and shit like that. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm a good role model. If I'm being honest, like, I don't think people should necessarily listen to me and be like, Oh, that's really cool. You know, it's like, Hey, if what I'm saying helps you, that's fantastic. But I definitely wouldn't try and model anyone's life around me. It, it just, I just want to clarify that real quickly. I'm not a model by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it seems like you got some good habits you developed, so you're on the right track. So I think some people could take some tips from you. Tips maybe, but not, not modeling. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Another one of these guys who doesn't think he does this, anything awesome. This is great. Cliff notes. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Look at the cliff notes of his life. Don't don't read the book. Is there a book in the process? That's what you need to do. It sounds like you need to write a book because you're a great oh writer. It sounds Ooh, like I'd read that shit. I'd read it because this sounds fascinating because there's stuff that's <laughs> like there, you know, but like, I'm not going to, you know, but so if you, you wrote a book, I think, I think it'd be a hit. I'd have to have something to write about first. I haven't really. Ah, worth there he goes. Book. No, but I'm serious though. Like every <laughs> like this is this is one of my problems with people like in the fitness industry too. Is like not even in the fitness industry. So there there was like a there was a poll done, I think in 2020, and it was asking kids what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I think 80% or something like that said, I want to be an influencer. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's not a thing. That's just you want to be loved and you want to be influential. It's like, what are you doing? What have you done? To, to earn that, you know, it's like Muhammad Ali is seen as the greatest, not because he's just like, he did some fucking TikTok dances. It's because you look at the stance he made when he said, I'm not going to Vietnam. You look at, uh, you know, the rumble in the jungle when he, when he fought, you know, in Africa, you look at his stance on like African-Americans, you look at like how he conducted himself and you look at his fucking like prowess and, and skill as a boxer. It's like, that's why he was great. He earned his prestige. You look at Mike Tyson, you look at like Elon Musk and all these famous people. It's like they've done something. They've changed the world. You know, Mike Tyson can't go anywhere without being recognized. Meanwhile, you got fucking Billy over here who's like, I want to be I want to be famous. No, no, no. It's like, what do you what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm really empathetic. And I'm doing, it's like you're a fucking loser is what you are. You know, you don't deserve anything. Like do something that's commendable and then people will commend you. And then, you know, but it's like if you haven't done anything, then. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. And so like for me, I would never write a book because, I mean, never say never, but I definitely wouldn't write a book now. Like I wouldn't write a book until I actually accomplished something where I was like, wow, you know what? That's rare. Now I actually have something to say. Now I actually have some advice to give because I'm living this life. This is who I am, blah, 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 blah. But until I get there, I wouldn't, I would never like do that. Cause I think I'd probably just like, I think it might be interesting some of the stuff that I'd say, but I also think that I might fuck people up if they follow bad advice. So I'd just be too scared to do that, you know? All right. We can only hope. We we, we can just wish and hope for the book to come out. Yeah, 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 <laughs> just give yeah. him a, give him 20 more years. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. Looking we'll see if I accomplish anything worthwhile. Ah, come on. Come on. This guy is so... Mm. Ah, uh, good for you. That's a great mentality. That's that's awesome. That's freaking awesome. So when are you going to compete next? When's the next when's the next big competition for you or is it like in the works soon? Are you kind of 
No, I mean, it'll it float? be somewhere like mid next year. Um, because yeah, like I said, I want to get up to my old strength before I compete again. Like I sure. don't, I don't care about winning at a lighter weight class. Like I just want to be stronger, you know? So I wouldn't compete again until I could actually hit my old numbers. And then I'd probably look for a comp. So I, I would imagine somewhere like mid this year is, is probably when I'd be like, okay, let's, let's start looking for a comp or maybe let's compete around that time. Um, it's kind of what I anticipate. Okay, so there's well, that's good. We got something to look forward to next year already, Alex. So we can <laughs> we can uh, we can recap that in the next in the next year when that happens. Hopefully, I have a feeling this guy's gonna keep us entertained for the rest of our lives at this rate because this has been great. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely think you're flattering me a little bit too. No much. shot, no shot. How how did uh, how did the relationship at Elite FTS come about? How did you kind of weasel your way into that one? Since nothing happens by your own accord, apparently, and it just it just happened. So how did you <laughs> how did you um, find yourself in? I submitted I submitted an article, and um, do you know what the article is about? Do you remember? Yes, uh, it was on nutrition. So it was like how to design a muscle building diet or something like that. Um, and basically I just kind of walked people through like, okay, so here's what energy balance is. Here's what macronutrients are. Here's how you have to structure like a, like a hypertrophy phase in terms of your diet. Here's what a maintenance phase is. And then I talked a little bit about like behavior and, and how to scale, um, like how to scale behaviors and stuff like that so that you can, or, or like little routines. So you can eventually build up to having more robust, um, uh, intervention and then, it was like kind of basic to be honest. And then the other one, I, I think I wrote a couple more for them, but then the other one was like on building muscle and losing fat at the same time or something like that. And talking about different mechanisms. And, hey, I fucking don't remember. And then, uh, yeah. So when I was at Kabuki, they just reached out to me. Dave reached out to me and he was like, Hey man, um, he's like, do you want to be on the table talk podcast? My name's Dave Tate. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, bro, I know who the fuck you are, man. Everyone knows who the fuck you are. I like, <laughs> bro, I was fangirling so hard, man. It was crazy. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was nuts. So that was that I will say of all the things I've done, that to me was the thing that means the most to me because like Dave is like a pillar and, and he's done so much for the community, the fitness community. He's like, you look at kids today and it's like, who do you follow? And they're like, oh, I follow Bradley Martin. I follow this. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Do you know who Dave Tate is? And they're like, no. And it's like, yeah, Dave Tate's the guy who all your fucking influencers, that's the guy who they follow, you know? So he just does so much for the community. And like, I'm always just so grateful for the things that he's done, you know, whether it's for me or for other people, it's just such a, such a really cool thing. I've learned so much from him and like his articles and his like YouTube channel and all that stuff. And so I can't say enough good things about the dude, you know? And even when I was there, like he, uh, we recorded like a four and a bit hour podcast. Um, and then after he just lights up a cigar and we talk for another five hours and, uh, and it, dude, it was, it was amazing, man. Uh, he was, he was so gracious with his time and like, yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. What is a, how do we get to the four hour podcast? What is that like? Cause Alex and I have like, how do we go two more? Two more? Well, first of all, Nathan, we have to have not have any other obligations. And that's then, true. <laughs> that's usually the yeah. big problem with Wednesdays. Saturdays, we could get to four hours, no problem. On yeah, Saturdays. that's true. We definitely could. But man, I could just imagine Dave's like, eh, okay, turn it off. And then it's four more, five more hours. That's well, incredible. He's, such, he's so good at interviewing people. That's the part we suck yeah. at. We got to work on that interviewing process. He's he's great. He, bro, he hit me with a question, man. I like froze. I was like, how did you know that? He's like, I do my research. And I like froze and I was like, 
and then I kind of started answering again. But I I have no idea how he found out some of the shit about me, you know, because this is not it's not public information. You know what I mean? So I was just like, so he really, really, really does a deep dive on all of his guests. I was so impressed, dude. Like, so impressed. Because the thing is, too, like, I have friends who have been on his podcast as well, right? And he'll talk about stuff that they've told me in confidence. And I'm like, how the fuck did he find, like, how does he know? Like, it's crazy. And, and like, he'll never say anything to, like, you know, obviously out of person or, or be dick or anything like that. But it's it's just, like, the level of professionalism that he brings to his podcast is insane. Like it's fucking insane. He made a deal with the devil. We now have confirmed Dave Tate has made a deal with the devil. He knows everything about everyone. So if you go on the podcast, just know that he's going to find your deepest and darkest. That's crazy. I can't believe it even, man, stuff that's not even, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how he found out some of the shit, but he must've like watched every interview or like, I don't know. He must've like talked to some people. It was, it was wild. I was so impressed, man. <laughs> yeah. He's really thorough with that shit. Have you got yeah. a chance to train with Dave? Like, did you guys, when you went down and hung out, obviously there, did you get to train with him or um, do anything no, like that? Unfortunately not, because the way things worked out is like, our, I, I recorded a bunch of videos, like some content for them um, before the podcast. Then he got there, we recorded the podcast and then literally just talked. So I was there from like 8 a.m. and then I left at like 10.30 or 11 p.m. Um, we were just chatting the whole time, but then I had to fly out the next, the next morning. Um, so I didn't get an opportunity to, but I I'm, I'm planning on going back there this year and definitely getting some training in. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll always support that dude and, and, and show love where I can. Like anytime I see him doing something, I always try and share it and like, you know, promote it. Cause he's, he's a, he's a great dude. Yeah. If you're a strength coach and you're not watching table talks or like you're getting into the strength and conditioning realm and you want to, figure out how to fast track to learn as much as you possibly can. Just sit down and watch Dave Tate's table talks and you'll have a pretty good understanding about what to do and where to go with things. Cause there's so many guests on there that are just unbelievable, incredible athletes or just advanced athletes. I mean, it's awesome to to see some of the people that come on there. So you gotta be doing something right. You're on the, I mean, come on, like look at all these, you're on the podcast. He's on all these other people on the pack. See, come on, more credit. Gotta give me some, well, he's got to, he, he, can, he can help guys like me every now and then, only every now and then. Because, like, nope. he'll have to have ah. all these big guests, and then he can have, like, a little guy, and then he can have big guests again, and then he can have a little guy. I've never seen a little guy on Dave Tate's podcast. So, okay, if you want to take it that way, that's great. But I, you're, hey, you're killing Nathan, the you game. you also realize we're talking to a person who is stronger than 99% of the world. And exactly. Like, yeah, I'm not that strong. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a theme. <laughs> it's just a theme, Alex. We bring people on, they tell us how strong they're not, and then we have to reflect on our lives and how strong we are. And it's just like, God dang it, you people. You oh, people dude, are incredible. Check out some of the guys in my gym, man. I think, because the thing too is like, people are just crazy strong in my gym. We've got five people who deadlift between eight and 900. <laughs> our gym wow and and like all of the girls that we have deadlift over 400 we've got one that deadlifts over 500 um and they're not it's not like they're like 300 pounds we're talking like 160 pound girls who are pulling 500 pounds we're talking about like like fuck my girlfriend she she pulls um so she's on my my i've been coaching her for like five years now she's 127 pounds she deadlifts 450 she just got top three at the American Pro. 
you know, fuck. There's, there's, there's a dude there, there's a dude there, Brad Shepard. So shout out to him. He's got the biggest squat in Canadian history. He squatted a thousand three not too long ago. Um, and so it's like, I'm, I'm no, I'm nobody compared to these dudes, you know, and, and like all the strong women there. And so I'm very lucky to be able to train around people like that, who just, everyone kind of brings everyone else up, you know, um, and uh and and so it's really really cool and even because like my girlfriend's a better fucking athlete than me like technically so she's she's an international lead athlete she got top three at the american pro overall um across all weight classes and like awesome. and she did that she did that after getting injured on her first attempt of squat um and so her her total even though she got top three her total was still like maybe 25 30 kilos off of what we had projected initially just because her back was so fucked she had to she couldn't take her other two squats and then she'd be conservative on her deadlift. She'd be conservative on her bench. Um, couldn't even get up off the bench. I had to like mm -hmm. run on the platform and like help her up and stuff like that. And she still managed to do that. So she's, she's a much better athlete than me. And so like when I say that, I'm not just being like, it's not like, what is it, false humility? It's like, that's, <laughs> these guys are legitimate athletes. And so when they, they yeah. deserve a lot of credit. When you're around it all the time, you kind of, there's a different level of comparison, obviously, that's going on. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they're a bunch of freaks. So are, the system that you're running, is it, how would you classify the system that you run? Cause you've been coaching for a long time. So are you, you know, there's West side guys, there's conjugate guys, there's linear, there's, you know, block. I mean, are you a mixture? Have you come up with your own system and what works for you? Or how do you classify how you kind of run your programming? I mean, I'm sure other people would probably look at it and they could kind of identify some sort of a trend or be like, Oh, he kind of does this. Um, I don't know that I really have one though, because like I look at all my clients' programs and they're all different. Like everything that I do, I like I don't think that I'm like necessarily the best coach. There's lots of people who are better coaches than me. There's lots of people who are better at a lot of things, but I know that I'm really good at getting a ton out of my athletes because of how detailed and how closely I work with my clients. Um so because I program an intervention or like I program, you know, their, their training, but then I don't just program their training. Like I talk to them and I'm like, Hey, like, no, no, I don't want you doing the bicep curl like that. I want you doing it like this because this way is going to get this. And it's like, we get so granular sometimes. And now for some people, I don't get granular at all. Some people just want to show up, train and leave. They don't give a fuck about, you know, reaching their potential. They just like getting stronger, but they don't want all the extra hassle. So for those people, I don't do that. But, you know, for the people who really do want to see what they can do, like, it's very, very granular. And, and because of how we execute everything and because of how we adjust their sleep, their nutrition, their, their, their step count, their aerobic fitness, their, their anaerobic fitness, all of this other stuff, and it kind of works in together. I think because I do all of that, it's very detailed. I think that's what kind of accelerates some of my clients' results, um, maybe above and beyond what you would normally assume based off of my actual skill set or my knowledge base, maybe, if that makes sense. It's like my, my, let's say my ability is here, but because my communication and execution ability is higher, it kind of brings my actual level up to here in terms of the results I can produce. I, I guess that would be the only way yeah. I can kind of describe it. That makes sense. But everything is like very, very, very individualized. So, you know, I have some clients who have like kind of more like, let's say a reactive training system type of program where it's just like static and they just kind of slow build. I have other clients where I undulate things day to day. I have other clients where um, they're kind of more like a block. I have other clients who do really well on conjugate. I have other clients who, you know, 
alternate. So A, B weeks, you know, so they'll deadlift once every two weeks. So they'll have four training sessions one week, three training sessions the next week. I have clients who, you know, like everything is really just dependent on them, what they respond to and how they're enjoying it. Um, and so because of that, I don't necessarily have like an approach. It's just what is working and whatever works, works. And that, that, that's it, you know? Um, yeah. That's, that's a very lost, very lost art and very lost element in today's world where it's just like, buy my program, do this thing. Everybody does this and they all get results. It's like the individualized part of that is pretty, pretty big component of everything, especially when it comes to that level that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. So, so I made like a, um, a sales presentation or whatever, uh, to kind of take, you know, new, new clients through whatever, or not new clients, but let's say prospects or whatever. And so I just put up like a ton of photos and stuff like that. And then like some of their results. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, this is kind of cool. I was like, I forgot that I had, you know, coached all of these people, you know, like that's pretty cool. And so, um, I've been pretty lucky. And then also just like working with Kabuki, you know, I kind of get a little bit of clout just by proxy or by association. And so, um, yeah, so it's kind of been nice. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to train some pretty cool people. And then, you know, I think, especially because my clients stay with me for a very long time, like my average client retention, about, I think I mentioned earlier about three years. And so I think because of that, they get the opportunity to really see good progress, to really adjust their lifestyle and to do all that stuff. And so um, honestly, the biggest thing that fucks people up is shit outside the gym. It's not hard to create a good program. Even even a not very good program, honestly, you can get really fucking good results. Like you do five, three, one, you're gonna get stronger. If you fucking push hard, you know how to train, you're gonna get results doing pretty much anything. Right. I think it's like how you manage a lot of the stuff outside the gym that really determines how successful your training actually is. Um, so that's where I put a lot of emphasis. Cause like once I design a program, I know the program's gonna work, you know. And so then we spent basically most of the extra time on like one teaching them what effort looks like. So it's like, Oh, that's an RP eight. No, 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 no. I want you to go to failure. And then it turns out they've got seven more reps and then they rack it. And I'm like, Nope, we got to do that again next week. Right. You fucked up. I want to see you fail the rep, not just hit an RP 10. I want to see you fail the rep. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, that's what that feels like. And it's, yeah, it feels like you're being fucking punched in the soul, you know? <laughs> and then, yeah, and yeah Alex, it is doing RPE, you know? So it's like, I focus on getting them to train at a certain intensity level so they can actually, because it's like, you give someone a program, are they following the program? Is it an RPE eight? Is it a seven? Are they doing all of their accessories? Are they cutting one set short? Are they doing the right rep range? Are they really pushing it, you know? And so it's like, so there's so many different things. It's like, yeah, I, I really like doing a lot of that stuff to get them to that level. And once they're at that level, I know that they're good. And I just keep assessing their videos to make sure that I know they're good. And right. then I just really focus on like a lot of the other stuff. Let's get your stress set. You know, like you're, you're too stressed out. We need to fucking dial it in. Sometimes people like break up with their girlfriend, dude, like to, to, to make progress. Cause they're like, wow, you know, I just realized that uh, my girlfriend's actually causing me a lot of stress. And that's not by my recommendation, FYI, you know, but it's like, <laughs> because we get so detailed into like, Hey, who are you? What kind of life do you want to live? Like right. how do you want your lifestyle to be not just with training, but just in general, like we get really granular. And then the people who are really looking, they start realizing like, you know what? I've got a lot of friendships that actually don't serve me. They actually just kind of hold me back. 
Um, I got this and like my job, I actually am realizing I'm not very happy with my job. Maybe I can do something else, you know? And so I have had people like quit their jobs, start a new career. Um, I've had a lot of people become coaches, oddly enough, you know, um, or shift from like completely different careers. So like uh, aircraft mechanic to marketing, you know, um, because they're like, you know what, this is just a lot more in line with who I am. And then they're a lot happier. And then once they're a lot happier and they're making better money, they're less stressed out Man, their training starts freaking skyrocketing because they don't have the same stressors and they're not locked down anymore. Um, and so there's, it's like I said, it's, it's just, I don't know. I'm very fortunate to be able to be a part of these people's lives and, and to have them in my lives as well. Um, because it's pretty cool. You know, when you see that kind of shit. It's cool that you say the outside stressors and how well you manage that, because I don't think that people realize even the small, like they'll just be, ah, it's not a big deal. Ah, it's not that big a deal. Ah, I can overcome it. Ah, this, it's just like, well, this stuff keeps adding up. Like you just keep telling me about all these little things that now have become this big thing. And it's really affecting who you are and how you can train and what's your overall capacity in life and is in general. And so it's like, it's, I, I'm sure you see it a lot. People just don't really think that much about it. Cause we've just kind of been taught to been like, eh, it's not that big a deal, but they, man, they add up over time and it, it can really affect everything that's going on in your life, especially your training. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. And like you said, you're, you kind of become like conditioned to just think it's okay. You're right. Like, well, I get five hours sleep, but that's okay. Like no I'm big I'm deal. Just, yep. like, no, no, you're not a big deal. You need to get more sleep yeah. period. You know, and then they tell you like, oh, I'm a genetic outlier. Oh, yeah. Go fuck yourself. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, I ate out seven times this week. It's like, OK, well, maybe we need to dial yeah. a nutritional. I had a client today tell me she was like, well, me and my husband, we really talked. We have this cafe that's like right down the road from us and we love their food. But, you know, we've been eating it literally every day for the last I don't know how many months. And I'm like, oh, well, OK, maybe we just go to like one time a week and let's see what that does, you know? And, um, yeah. and I was like, that's probably something that's going to really help you, you know, like yeah, just little things we don't think about. Yeah, I know a hundred percent, but that's the thing. Like you need, you need a good relationship a lot of the times they're also just going to tell you to fuck off. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Luckily she's been around and she's a client that's been around for a long time. So I'm yeah. just like, well, <laughs> you know, you talk about fat loss and I'm like, yeah, maybe the yeah. cafe five times a week's not going to cut it. So, it's good though that she feels open enough to have those conversations with me too. So I'm sure you enjoy the same process as like people will actually, hopefully you've probably built a good dynamic with people that they'll come and tell you stuff now to where it's like, okay, now it's easy to make these adjustments. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, you kind of end up being like their, their therapist or their parent or yeah. their mentor to some, to some degree. So. Yeah. Alex, you, you seem deep in thought over there. Are you okay, buddy? Are you, do you have any he just, you. I think you're on mute, but you've been sitting like this for like the last, like, I'm like, are you okay, man? Like, you look like you're deep in thought. Yeah. Just getting calls about bills I forgot to pay. Unbelievable. Get your life together. See? I know, right? Stressors. Stressors <laughs> of life. Now your training's going to be shit tomorrow. Unbelievable. That'll be fine. I just got to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Daniel, do you, I mean, do you have anything else for us? Alex, do you have anything else? I don't at this moment. That was great. Thank yeah. you, Daniel. appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you having me on and hopefully your listeners got something out of it. So, well, we don't know who our listeners even are. So we're just, you know, they've been slowly going up and like, you know, I forget that it's even a thing, but uh, we don't care. <laughs> we're we're going to keep having awesome guests on and, and 
highlight some of the awesome stuff that they, whether they believe what they're doing or not is awesome or you know, so thank you. Thank you again for coming on. We, we appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, gentlemen, have a good afternoon and thanks. Sweet. Thanks again, guys. And uh, once it's up, I guess you shoot me a text and I'll, uh, I'll promote it on my, on my uh, social media or whatever. You should see it pretty quick. I, I try to get them up as about as 